G'day everyone, I'm Josh, and I'm going to read Acts, oh, hello, I'm going to read Acts 17 verses 22 to 28, and thank you worship band, it's made it, after all that singing it's hard to read. <laughs> Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Please come up, John. May I pray for you? Please bow with me. Dear Lord, thank you for John. Thank you for bringing him to us tonight. And I pray that you'll, you'll speak through him and you'll give him every word to say and that we will listen and learn what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for that. good to be here. Thank you for your welcome. I'm delighted to be a part of life here at Q for a little while. I think I'm going to be here for about four or five months until you find out who the new pastor's going to be, so we might as well settle down and enjoy each other's company. I woke up Friday morning, uh, my alarm goes off at seven o'clock, and I woke up and I just heard the announcer say, uh, Queen Elizabeth has died. And I heard them play a comment from our Prime Minister uh, which uh, said something like this. Queen Elizabeth was the Queen over the most significant changes that have ever happened on the face of the earth. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about that because I'm inclined to believe that if you lived during the agrarian revolution when you were a hunter and gatherer and everything changed so that you had to become a farmer, I reckon that resulted in a fair bit of change in your life. I reckon if you were part of the Industrial Revolution hundreds of years later, where you had to move from your own little house, your own little industry, into the development of those satanic mills in England, I reckon that was a fair significant change. And what he was trying to say was that what we have now we have never seen before. And with that I agree. Because I believe absolutely that we are a part of the third great world revolution. 
We are living in the midst of that revolution, but one of the characteristics of that revolution, it is coming at a speed which has never, ever happened before. The agrarian slowly happened. The industrial revolution slowly happened. But now we can't keep up. And one of the characteristics that we find around the place is a depth of insecurity and a depth of worry that we have never sensed before. If we look at the international scene, and I'm not going to describe it all, love Danny's prayer. If you have a look at the international scene, not only is, the, is Russia attempting to try and control Ukraine, behind the scene, they have begun talking to the oil producing countries of the world and they've tried to say to those countries, petrol and all the rest of it, oil and all that, has in the past been paid for in American dollars around the world. Now it's going to be paid, at least in part, in Russian rubles. Do you reckon that's going to upset the world? Without talking about the Chinese situation in the Pacific, do you think we are nationally in a bit more trouble than we've ever been for years? How do you cope with that? How do you move into that and are able to affect it? How about the COVID thing? Not just the COVID thing, but it's my experience that the COVID thing has released amongst our society all sorts of issues that have, until, until now have been locked up. And we're now being forced into all sorts of emotional controls, all sorts of dominations that we never ever thought were possible. Things are being questioned. Our lives are being uprooted and turned around. My grandson started university a couple of years ago and he lasted a year. He couldn't cope with it anymore. Congratulations, those of you who are lasting it. Just can't cope with the pressure. If, if, if that's not enough, let me read some of these to you. Somebody posted me this a little while ago and I looked it up and I uh, found it in the computer. Basic auto repair shops will disappear. A gas diesel engine has 20,000 individual parts. An electrical motor has only 20 parts. Electric cards are sold with lifetime guarantees and are repaired only by dealers. It takes only 10 minutes to remove and replace an electric motor. Faulty electric motors are not repaired in the dealership but are sent to a regional repair shop that repairs them with robots. Your electric motor malfunction light goes on so you drive up to what looks like a car wash. You drive through, you have a cup of coffee and by the time you finish your cup of coffee the car's ready to drive away again. Gas pumps will go away. Street corners will have meters that dispense electricity. Companies will install electrical recharging stations. In fact, they already have started to do that. I sent this stuff off to my brother-in-law with whom I have a good chat and he said, I oh, know that started in 2018. You're four years behind, buddy. Coal industries will go away. Gasoline and oil companies will go away. Drilling for oil will stop. Say goodbye to OPEC. The Middle East is in trouble. You reckon this has changed? We're being controlled by the computer revolution moving on to the information technology revolution. They know who you are. They know everything about you. They know when you breathe. They know what you like to buy. 
They know where you're going. They've got your photograph. And if you walk down Flinders Street, they know you're there. A baby of today will see personal cars only in museums. The future is approaching, is approaching faster than most of us can handle. In 1998, Kodak had 170,000 employees and sold 85% of all the photo paper worldwide. Within just a few years, their business model disappeared and they went bankrupt. Do you know the biggest accommodation chain over the world? It's Airbnb and they don't own a property. Do you know that lawyers in America can't find jobs because 90% of the information that you need initially from a lawyer is on the computer. And if you're studying law, have you studied anybody here studying law? Well, congratulations, you've made wise choices. <laughs> you don't get into law anymore. Software has disrupted and will continue to disrupt most traditional industries over the next five to 10 years. Uber is just a software tool. It's the biggest taxi company in the world, but it owns no cars. The world is changing. Now, this, this world is normal for you guys, but you are suffering at university all the consequences of these kinds of change. Autonomous cars. In 2018, they came up with the first autonomous car, and in due course, autonomous cars will be used by us all we will phone up, a car will come and take us to where we want to go and then it will go on to the next one. We won't own a car. Electricity will become very, very cheap. Insurance companies are begin in all sorts of trouble because there won't be any accidents. Cities are going to be very, very different because there won't be cars driving through them unless they're electric. This is only just a start. This is only, I mean, I could go on and read some of those, read, read more of these. Engineers from Volkswagen and Organ are completely terrified of Tesla. Or motor vehicle companies say, let's try and modify our motor vehicles. Let's make them better. Let's make them different. But we've got to keep the motor. No, you don't. You want to live in that world? How do you live in that world? How do you go about the process of living? I'm not talking about knowing about. I'm not talking about understanding the facts. I'm not talking about being a Christian and being aware of all of the teaching of the gospel. I want to know, and I think you should too, facing what we've just talked about, how do I do it? How do I do what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? How do I go about the process of living my life in such a way as it actually means something or do I get dragged into our society and run by it? Do we want the culture to critique our faith or do we want our faith to critique the culture? Where are we at? Do we know enough about our faith? Well, I think it's time for us to start at the beginning again and know what our faith is about. We need to identify the basics of our faith and we need to say we want to deal with the accretions that have added themselves to our faith, leave them behind and get about the business of truly living as the disciples of Jesus Christ. 
Now you might say to me, well, what are, what are we talking about with accretions? The stuff that's get added on to our faith and pretends that it is our faith. Let me give you a couple of examples. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, you won't, most of you will never understand this, but this is the truth. When I was a teenager, you went to church and you had to wear your suit to go to church. If you were a rebellious teenager, you sat up the back and wore white socks. But you wore your suit to church, you went to Christian Endeavour at 9.30, you went to church at 11 o'clock, you went home and had lunch, you went back to Sunday school at 2.30, you went home and had dinner, you went to church at 7 o'clock, and then if you were part of a youth group, you went out to somebody's house where mum had prepared all sorts of lovely suppers and you sang around the piano choruses for an hour and a half. And that was Sunday. You weren't allowed to play cards on Sunday. You weren't allowed to change out of your clothes on Sunday. You weren't allowed to smoke. You weren't allowed to drink. You weren't allowed, if fellas, you're not allowed to go out with bad women. None of these, they're all banned. And this is the criteria. You have come across into Jesus and you have crossed the line and you're safe. Now what do you do to live your life? Well, you do these things. You have to go to church every Sunday. And so long as you go to church every Sunday... Not allowed to pay cards on Sunday. You don't have time for that. You've got to go to Sunday school on Sunday. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, but my wife and I, when we first got married, were going home from church. You weren't allowed to buy anything on Sunday. That's the problem for us. You weren't allowed to never go shopping on Sunday. My wife and I, coming home from church, said to one another, uh, How about we get fish and chips to eat in the park on the way home? <laughs> Lightning and thunder and. Uh, and we, we bought fish and chips and nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened at all. And we suddenly said to ourselves, that's been added on to our faith. That's not the faith. What's the faith? We don't need to dress like that. We don't need to be controlled by that. We don't need to believe that those things that have been added on to our faith are the faith. They're not. I think we need to be able to say to ourselves, we're moving on the edge of destiny and in moving on the edge of destiny, we need to say to ourselves again, what is our faith? How do I do what our faith is saying and how do I leave behind the rubbish in the society? How do I leave behind the rubbish in my life that I might get close to Jesus and live a life that really honours him in everything that I do? Now, Jeff Pugh did an excellent act of Jesus of Acts 17 uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was watching it on TV and I want to just pick up one phrase from there, but I want to give you a little bit of background to that. Uh, the reason the Greeks had this problem is because there had been some kind of uh, difficulty with health. I think it was a pandemic of some kind or other. And in their efforts to try and solve it, what they decided to do was to get a, a herd of sheep, flock of sheep, send them into Athens and where they lay down... There they built an altar to a god. And they figured if they built an altar where every sheep lay down, they would cover themselves from all the gods that were up there. And they even covered themselves with this notion of there's a, the unknown god. And Paul very wisely picks that up and runs with it. But I want to say this. The thing that Paul said that has changed my life forever is in him we live and move and have our being. 
In him we live and move and have our being. What do we do? That's what we do. That's how we go about it. Now, we need to understand this is all for all humanity. This, Jesus says, is for all of you. I love humanity. I love you all. I'm prepared to give my life for all. But there's a corollary. You have free choice. If you want to run with me, if you want to understand what life in God is supposed to be, then you need to give your life into my hands and enter into a relationship with me because it's not about law, it's about relationship. You could choose though. And if you want to choose not to have anything to do with God, he says, that's your choice. And he says to you and to me, if you don't want to live in my kingdom, let me invite you to live in the kingdom of this world where Satan himself rules and where the power of culture and the power of society will mould you and bend you and control you and destroy you. I want to ask you to come into my kingdom. My heart is bleeding for you. I long for you to come into me. Now this is the thing. Listen to this again. In him we live and move and have our being. He says to us, you are not outside of me. You are not outside of the Godhead. You are in the Godhead with me. You live with me. I live in you. You live in me. We are not outside. Some of our songs talk about living outside of God and and giving him our worship. And that's fine. But the reality is that Paul says we live in him. We live our lives in him. And living in him, he says to us now, in in him I, I want you to live. I gave you breath. I gave you a heart. I keep it going. I keep you on the straight and narrow. I love you. Everything that life has for you, I have brought for you. And, and, and if you want to move, I'll guide you. I'll send you to Oxford. You want to do something for me? Listen to me. Let me talk to you. And I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you how to behave. I'll tell you who your spouse needs to be. And I'll give you joy along the way where the world says, Here's a serving of pain. Of course there's pain on the way. Of course there's damage. My son has cerebral palsy. Do you think we've asked questions of God about why that's the case? Of course there's pain. But he says to us, come and live in me. Come and learn to live. Come and learn to move. And come and learn to have your character formed in me. Come and learn in an intimacy of relationship with me. Do you know what he really says? It's explained a little bit elsewhere in the New Testament. And I have to say that Lauren and Miriam and I are going to be exploring some of this stuff over the next few weeks. This is what we want to try and talk about. I, he says, am a trinity. And I have designated the Holy Spirit, whom I have designated the go-between God to come and live in you. And what I want you to understand is that he comes to live in you, not from outside you, but in you, inviting you into the Trinity 
to live your life in perfection and that he comes to you and he, he whispers in your ear, you want to know what it means to do the Christian stuff? Then come dance with me. He's the partner who guides us and keeps us. He's the one who comes and leads, leads us and teaches us, controls us. We have this conversation with the master himself. We live in him and he lives in us. Now the world will seek to destroy us. The world will seek to guide us in all sorts of ways that are fruitless. But Jesus says, come and dance with me. Come and join in the great dance. Come and give your life to me and I will give you back something that you never expected. Never expected. I will take you places you never thought to go. I will feed you with my spirit so that you will be my person. Now let's be careful here. Temptation is to believe that God will do that to create me a better person. Kind of true. But the reality is he wants to create us to be like Jesus. His purpose in life is for us to be conformed to the character of the master. Where Jesus would do this for humanity, he says, come, come with me and I will teach you about Jesus. I will teach you how to go about life that reflects the majesty of who he is and I will show you grace and I will show you mercy and I will show you love beyond your capacity. Not about you. It's not about me. It's about us being conformed to the character of Jesus. Why? Well, God is making this giant tapestry. Right the way through eternity, he's making this giant tapestry and in one or two little spots on that tapestry is your name. And he wants to be able to use you in his kingdom making. He wants to be able to use your life for the fruit of his kingdom. Jesus says, it is much to my Father's, much of my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. He wants to be able to see you leave behind the temptations of this world. He wants to see you leave behind the possibilities that, of wealth and all that and get into a relationship with Jesus that transform your personality and your character into just like Jesus that gives you the opportunity to work in his world for the things of his kingdom and gives you the capacity to serve others where grace and mercy reigns in your character. It's all about character formation. And I need to say to you, it's about that. Come to me, give me your life, and in intimacy with me, in intimacy with me, come talk to me. Come talk to me about the things of your life. Come talk to me about the things of your future. Come talk to me about who you might be. Come talk to me about the damage. Yeah, I know what it's like when somebody's dropped you and you thought they were possibly your partner. Yeah, I, he says, I know about that. Come talk to me and let me transform you. You know, as Lauren asked me a question, what would I say to my 20-year-old person now? It's all right. It's okay. You needn't worry because the master's got you. 
He's got you. And he wants you to dance with him. Amen. Take a minute to stand and uh, gather our thoughts. And we're going to respond by 